From the earliest paintings on cave walls to the modern art scene, we have anthropomorphized birds as messengers from the other side. Messengers of good omens, lofty ideals, and hope. Birds have symbolized ancient goddesses of love and sexuality. They symbolize the peace agreement between warring ideologies. Maybe we anthropomorphize birds because we hope that one day our souls will ascend from this chaos. I'm your host, Gabe Wells, and this is the Saturated Life Podcast, episode number 14, with the surrealist, anthropomorphizing painter, Christopher Umana. I think not just myself, but a lot of artists try and struggle with like, well, how am I going to be original and stuff? And I don't know, that's mostly just ego talking, I guess. But shouldn't even have to worry about that. Just kind of let the work happen. But um, yeah, so I started just toying around with, you know, what do I want to create that would be maybe not unique to the world, but just unique to myself and, and my perspective and what I wanted to put out there. And I wanted to combine something inside. I thought, you know, what are the two most beautiful features in the world to me? So I figured, well, women are obviously hugely beautiful. And then I chose birds because the symbol, you know, the obsession that people have with birds all over the world and a symbol of freedom, especially here in the United States. And so I thought, well, why don't I just combine those two and, and try and develop a narrative from that? And then finding books about birds and just seeing, you know, the absolute myriad of birds all around the world. Are, are you into uh, bird watching? You ornithologist uh yeah yeah no actually before um even doing the work i never was really into it until i actually started studying birds and doing research and finding out that there's actually different birds connected with different type of people and, and personality types and stuff and um it was actually not until i got with my wife that i was introduced to that she had a book that um just opened my eyes to this whole world of that there's connections between people and certain animals and plants and even colors and so I just went off of that and started developing you know different characters for my pieces based on you know those connections what was the name of the book oh man uh I know it was a zodiac related book and I have it laying around here somewhere in the studio but um you know it described each zodiac sign and the animals associated with it but then it's like these trees are associated with this sign and then these flowers and these birds. And like, man, I could just make, you know, a whole endless series of characters and paintings just based off this one book. But since I moved to Nevada, so I came from Southern California and I've always really been interested not only in animals, but uh, insects as well. And those types of connections with uh, with human behavior and how they react out in the wild. And, uh, it was just really weird. Like no matter where I moved here in, in Nevada, it seemed like the praying mantises would always just, you know, around springtime would just land in my house like every year, almost like clockwork. So we would, you know, I didn't really want to capture it because I needed to be out there, but I thought it was just like a cool lesson for my daughters to just kind of see this small life, you know, and they were little when that started happening, you know, like even when they're, uh, 
they don't have partners that pay mantises. They, they lay the eggs or they lay empty egg sacs. So it was cool for them to kind of see that and just, uh, yeah. like the whole circle of life. And then it would take off. And I just thought it was like a really cool lesson to show my kids. And every year, yeah, they just keep coming back. And, you know, we've moved to it. Um, and now we get males and females and last year was kind of, uh, awkward, but, uh, interesting thing for them to see because they actually, there was like this whole battle between two males and, uh, fighting over a female and she's just kind of sitting off on the side watching the whole thing. And then my daughters are watching the whole thing too. And then, you know, the victor, you know, scared the other one off and, you know, claimed his woman, I guess. <laughs> and so they, they saw the whole mating process and, you know, they were kind of freaky squeamish about it, but, uh, so wait, doesn't the I thought the female chopped off or bit off the head of the the male after sex. That doesn't happen. Yeah, I know, and and I I didn't want my kids to see that, and I was like, oh man, I felt bad for them too because you know. It, so it does happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it totally it? does, and she went for it too, and because he just stood around, he's like, okay, you know, did what I came here to do, and you know, now I'm just kind of chilling, and she's like, yeah, I'm not having you, just get off me, dude, and she turned around to bite him, and I kind of I grabbed him right as she was about to bite his head off. And I, I moved him, you know, to another branch. I'm like, dude, you better get out of here. And <laughs> that was a good bro thing to do. You're like, come on, bro. Come on, bro. Just go yeah. back in. <laughs> yeah. I'll save you, buddy. <laughs> That's a good thing to do. I was like, yeah, I was like, come on, solidarity, man. Just, you know, I'll save your life. And I don't know. You find <laughs> something to do for me. And, but, uh, yeah, they, and then my daughters, too, were just, like, ecstatic that I saved him, too. And, and uh, so you also have that show coming up, right? Yeah, co-curated with my wife, Jennifer. It's called Caja, which is uh, Spanish for box. And, uh, yeah, it started out, uh, my friend Andy Garcia over at 423 West Gallery, she uh, wanted to give me the opportunity to just kind of be free with whatever I wanted to do for the, the show as far as theme and everything. And uh, I thought that was really cool. And so I took the theme of the box just because it's such a simple object, but you just find it everywhere. It's just something that's always intrigued humans. And, you know, we got to know what's inside the box. And, you know, it's almost like a, to the point that, you know, people get anxiety from it just and want to know what's in there. And, and I reached out to a lot of artists that I really admire and respect. And that a lot of them I've shown with, you know, the past so many years. And uh, it's almost like a big thank you to them for having the opportunity to, to show with them. And then for them putting me in their shows as well to help express their themes. I'm really excited about this because, you know, it it was something I've been, the theme that I've been toying with for years. And yeah, so I just wanted to take something that seemed really simple, but it can be really intricate. So I just wanted to see where everybody goes with this because I invited artists from Lowbrow and Pop Surrealist artists and stuff. And Yeah, Dave McDowell is going to be in there, right? And Christopher Ulrich? Yeah, it's it's been really awesome to get the response from artists that, you know, have been really excited to contribute to the show. And yeah, Andy's been really awesome. I've worked with her since 2009. She gave me a show with uh, Albert Montoya, who's also going to be in the Caja show. And when she was out in Santa Barbara and uh, yeah, we just hit it off from there. And she's like our uh, surrogate mama. <laughs> <laughs> um, she just, yeah, she loves art and she loves artists and she's such a huge supporter. And it's been really great to work with her over these years. So I'm really glad that she gave me this opportunity. So there's this whole juncture point in my life where I was experiencing, you know, a new birth in the family and then a new job and then all these things were happening at the same time. And it was like really exciting but really stressful at the same time too. And uh, because I kind of slowed down in creating artwork at that time. And that was probably the last show I had before my daughter was born, uh, before I kind of took a break. 
but then I had to deal with the whole thing of, you know, a day, having a day job and just being overly exhausted from that and still trying to, you know, muster up the energy to, to paint every day. And even if it was just for, you know, one or two hours just to get something out, try not to have my head pop off. <laughs> I didn't know it would be this hard. I really, before I had a kid, I was like, yeah, I'll still be able to get some artwork done. No, it's really fucking hard. It's really hard. That's yeah. Like, so you, um, how long did you have to take, take a break for and and uh, are you back into uh, being able to work, uh, put more hours into it? Yeah, I mean, after that, see, my daughter was born in September of 2006. Had this feeling like I should be doing, I could be doing better than just a manual labor job, you know, and just getting really focused into my work. Not getting anything accomplished because you just have these hours that be just looming over you all the time, not letting you have the freedom that you want. Yes. And... <laughs> And after that, yeah, things really slowed down. I focused on, you know, helping raise my newborn. And so after that, I started working the graveyard shift just to try and bring some more money in. And that was just a disaster because, I mean, you get so exhausted from working those hours. And your body doesn't like you after that. No. And mentally, it's like you have neurologists coming out now saying how bad that is for your brain. Or just overall health. I mean, your increase of heart attacks at some point. Because that's something I have to uh, teach myself not to do is to get, you know, I have to teach myself to get more sleep because I like staying up. <laughs> you know, I like yeah. my favorite time to paint is at night. Uh, but if you, yeah, if you're working next day, man, I mean, it's, you're, you know, cognitively not really there. And But uh, overall, it's like smoking. Lack of sleep is mm-hmm, like smoking. Exactly. Working from 10 till 6, 10 at night till, no, 9 at night till 6 in the morning. And then uh, coming home and having barely any energy. And then, of course, that's when my newborn's getting up. So I'd have to, you know, help her out in the morning and stuff. And then my other daughter, too, she wasn't in school yet. And, yeah, you just get so sleep-deprived. And I lost so much weight. And, of course, I was smoking, too, and that didn't help. And uh, I'd see pictures of myself then. And I just, like, looked really emaciated. Excuse me, I told my bosses, yeah, I got to get out of this. I need need to switch me out to a different shift or something. And, you know, it was rough. So then I didn't do anything. I mean, I, my brother had a uh, a residency over at the Hive in Los Angeles, and he's like, you know, just I know you're not really doing that much, but send me what you have, and I'll just put it up on my wall, and that way at least you're getting exposure, even if you're not working. And then if you find the time, make something, and I'll show it for you. But still, it was really hard to find any kind of time because whatever time I had, I was sleeping or trying to sleep, anyways. And uh, I totally relate, man. It's, it is like, it's really hard for somebody probably like you and me who is used to kind of indulging in our free times. Uh, yeah. w- when I had free time, I was painting, you know, I was creating artwork. And I really loved it. But now that it's all stopped, it's like a, it's like a drug withdrawal. It's kind of like one of those yeah. things like in my head, it's still that, that fucking crazy monkey is still in there and it's running around, yeah. but it's, I, it's locked in a cage and it's like. It's kind of almost like mental torture. All it wants to do is just kind of like splatter shit. It just wants to like go and create <laughs> something, but it can. It's fucking locked in a cage. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. And God, man, even now, when uh, even if I don't get to paint for you know a few hours a night, I, I find myself getting very frustrated. And uh, and yeah, it does. You're right. It does feel like some kind of withdrawal or something. You know, you you got to do it. Yeah, yeah. So. So how many pieces do you have in the in the show that uh, Kaha? I'm gonna have uh, two pieces in that. One of them is a collaborative piece with my brother, and that's 
been such a, a cool experiment that we've been doing the last few years. Um, well, well, it started about '94, and we just kind of throw characters back and forth at each other, and you know, he'd come up with a piece of it and said, "Here, you know, do something to it," and I'd color it or add body parts to it and stuff. But it was nothing really cohesive. But then we started doing it with the objective of actually having these pieces shown, and we've gotten a really good response because we have really different styles, and you know, he's. He's really abstract, and he graduated with a bachelor's in fine arts and stuff. And what's uh, his name? Uh, Stephen Yamara. He usually goes by S T S T E. But yeah, people have told us that you know it just it seems to work and flow together really nicely, and uh, so we really appreciate that, and we just we love doing it. And now we're in different states. He's still in Southern California. We individually work on the pieces and then ship them back and forth. That's always a nice surprise too, just to see what the other person has added to it and just go off of that and just have no preconception of what we're doing. That's just cool. see where it goes and just have it be really organic. You still live in Southern California. Where, where'd you guys grow up? I grew up down in the Lakewood Long Beach area. I was going to say, how did you, I want to know, like, how did you start curating the show that you're doing from Nevada and gathering people? Like what was the, what was the whole process that, that got this going? It's just being at a point uh, in my career where I know a lot of artists now that they have shown with in the past repeatedly and uh, just making those connections that uh, just meeting a lot of really down-to-earth artists and uh, just appreciating their artwork and, you know, just putting myself out there and saying, hey, you know, you want to be a part of this? I'd really be honored to have you in it. And it's kind of going from there. I mean, uh, I've had the privilege of being some really great shows with a lot of really talented people. And not only that, but uh, searching for artists online has been really fun too. You know, just on social networks and like Instagram and stuff. So it's been really cool because I actually met international artists that way. And they're on the show too. There's people from like Scotland and, uh, and Australia and everything, which is kind of my goal that I wanted to have for the show as well as just to have people from all around the world just kind of interpret this theme and just see where they take it, you know, because, you know, just as is as a physical box or if they'll take it, you know, as something psychological and stuff. It's been really fun to see all the pieces that are coming in that people have finished so far. And have you I think seen, it's really going to... I'm sorry, have you seen the movie The Box? The Cameron Diaz movie? Isn't it called The Box? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was Did, a, were you inspired by that movie? No, no, it was actually... Uh, kind of tragically inspired by an event that happened in my life when I was eight years old where, uh, and I've never really talked about this before, but, um, I was in Central America and my family's from Central America and Costa Rica and we're down there visiting and stuff. And I was in, not really in the care, but just kind of, somebody was babysitting me, uh, these two sisters. And, um, they kind of introduced me to not really sexual behavior, but told me that, you know, and they were, they were almost twice as old as I was. I was eight and they were like around 15 and stuff. They had this giant cardboard box and, you know, who knows how often they did this or whatever with other kids, but, uh, they had found out and it's kind of, it was really freaky because they found out, um, that I was an American visiting. So there's this whole thing like, Oh, the gringo, the gringo, this and the gringo that, you know, it's exciting. Let's mess with this person, you know? So I was like, okay, we'll go in this box. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to make out and stuff like that. And you're going to enjoy it and all that stuff. And uh, and I just remember it being really dark and just being in that big cardboard box and just thinking like, what the fuck am I doing in here? You know, what did I get myself into? And, you know, it's not really something you want to be thinking about when you're eight years old. And to have these older girls think it was okay and 
yeah, the older one went in there with me and, you know, had me make out with her and all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, it was really conflicting because it was like, you put your trust in these people and they make you think it's okay. And then, you know, of course I went home back to the States and stuff. And I was just like really confused about the whole situation. I never told anybody. And, and, uh, and then it was weird because when actually my family and I moved to Costa Rica and when I was in junior high, like a, it was like a bad experience, but then, you know, thinking about it now as I'm older and putting a show together and stuff is also experience that I can't, uh, necessarily be mad at because it helped it was one of those instances that just kind of helps, not really helps, but it shapes you as a person. And I can see where it's affected me and not. And, uh, yeah, it was weird because, you know, moving back there in junior high, there was that whole thing again of like, oh, it's the gringo. And, you know, let's pay attention, put, you know, focus on the gringo because who knows why. I don't know what the hell they were thinking of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, so, yeah, it was like that with uh, a couple more, but they were more my age. So I always kind of saw it as, this kind of pressure to when with, uh, cause they were much bigger than I was. And I'm a, you know, pretty diminutive guy. I'm only like five, three now. And I was super tiny when I was eight years old or whatever. So there was like this whole image that stuck with me, you know, throughout my life of these giant women, you know, that, uh, <laughs> that did that. <laughs> like they, you know, as a kid, they just seemed Amazonian and they probably weren't even that big, but you know, Man, that is that's a weird experience. Yeah, uh, it's such a, a touchy subject, especially when it's kind of like a role reversal thing with the gender. Yeah, yeah. Like, one thing I wanted to say it's it's been really interesting uh, hearing all the other podcasts and how uh, the other artists and some of the podcasts how they've how religion and psychedelics just play and in, plays into their work. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I grew up in the Catholic Church and uh, just the you know seeing all the religious art and stuff. I think. Besides just looking at anthropomorphic figures, it, it really influenced my work, especially as far as uh, making certain characters stand out, you know, the important characters, I guess, because that's how I always saw it, you know, as a kid sitting in church. And cause I was really deep into the church, you know, growing up, like, you know, obviously because my parents got us into it. But then I just kept rolling with it, you know, to the point where I was uh, helping out a lot, you know, and, and playing drums in the, the choir and all that stuff. And I just found it to become, you know, later on as I got older, just, became more stale and I just ended up focusing on all the artwork and just that would just entertain me throughout you know going to church and I just look at the paintings and stuff and the wind the glass windows and stuff and just draw from that yeah it's beautiful yeah it is also having this um kind of like an epiphany that you know I just saw things on a different level that it almost seemed like what they were talking about in church just didn't really have any relevance like I figured I can just go if I want to talk to God, I'll do it on my own in my own way. Yeah. And not have to be kind of bogged down by the rules and the dogma of everything because I just saw the hypocrisy in so many people at church, you know, the way they would act there, but then you see them out and about in the world and they'd be completely different and treat people differently too and stuff. And I was just kind of put off by the whole thing. It's a strange culture. Doing, because yeah. you're there and it, like once you're in church it does see, seem really like this big bonding moment. And I mean, I've been at church, a, a complete atheist, but you still get that kind of emotional rush from that yeah. collective energy in a room. And, and that is, that's like the spiritual experience they're talking about. Like I've, I mean, I've also been to church where I'm sitting there bored out of my fucking mind. Yeah. That's another reason why I left. There was just, I wanted that message too, you know, just something to inspire, you know, but it's like, I've, 
had more transcendental experiences, you know, just being with my family or creating art, something like that. So I just figured, you know, why do I have to sit in a, a building, you know, and pretend like I'm having some experience there when I'm actually getting more out of life being out there living, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and didn't Jesus say, uh, you don't need a church to worship me? I mean, everywhere. Exactly. And yeah. a lot, like, I, again, as a, I say I'm agnostic now. I used to be an atheist. I was kind of spiritual before. I went to spiritual, to atheist, to kind of agnostics. I'm like, fuck it, man. I don't know if the atheists are right. I don't know if the fucking spiritual people are right. I'm just agnostic. I have no clue what the fuck's going on. But reading the New Testament in my kind of mindset, not connected to Christianity, Jesus was awesome. Jesus was a really <laughs> fucking awesome dude. The rest of the Bible is kind of crazy. And, <laughs> but, like, if you read Jesus, if everybody, if all the Christians just act like Jesus, it, they'd, be, they'd be a pretty awesome religion to be in. But instead, they mix into a lot of the Old Testament stuff that kind of gets a little wacky, you know? Like, it's... But you get that feeling of hippiness from, from Jesus. He's kind of like a hippie. You'd be a hippie today. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and even the connections between the way Jesus talks and you know, the New Testament stuff. And and I've been, you know, just kind of researching, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism and stuff. And it just all seems really connected. I mean, if, if people could just take a step back and just kind of see the connections and not be so stuck on dogma and stuff, then mm-hmm. I think, you know, people would get along way better. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Like, it, I don't know. It's just, to me, I think, I, I think the big problem with a lot of people is the idea that you know what the fuck is going on. Mm. That idea that you think you know and you think that other person is full of shit and like, but neither of you really fucking know. If you're talking about religion, you're talking about spirituality, you're talking about some kind of afterlife, you don't fucking know. You don't know. So stop saying you know and stop saying the other person's wrong. Muslims going crazy, Buddhists going crazy. When in reality, mm. if we all just said, fuck it, we're all different, let's just accept our differences. It'd be so easy. Yeah. It'd be peaceful. Yeah, I got really into uh, Deepak Chopra. I don't know if you're in general. Like, uh, last few years, and it's been such an, like an eye-opening experience too, just to get his perspective on things. Especially after being, you know, in the Catholic Church for about eighty percent of my life and stuff. And it pretty much came about because of a series of deaths in the family. And I was just looking for something else besides Catholicism and stuff and Christianity, especially seeing people argue back and forth about anybody challenge their beliefs or whatever. And it just seemed like a whole waste of time. But I came across one of his books, which was Life After Death, just after my grandma died and my wife's grandma and her aunt. And it was just this weird series of events where our relatives and then all of our pets started passing away too at the same time. You know, it's from old age and stuff, but the whole series just kind of put a huge damper on just everything in our life and so I just happened to come across you know one of Pat Chopra's books and I don't even remember what I was looking for in the library but I, I walked by and I saw an audiobook for that and I took a listen to it and just his whole perspective on life after death and, and linking it to you know Vedic rituals and stuff and um, it was such an eye-opening thing to see that you know there's another view instead of just this view of heaven that everybody's striving to get to and you know, if you don't do the right thing, you're going straight to hell, blah, blah, blah. But uh, just seeing, you know, the, his perspective and the Vedic perspective that we're on different planes of existence and that we can go to different planes and, you know, just the whole idea of karma and coming back to being, you know, with the goal of being enlightened, it just seemed way more inspirational to me. And, and it does, yeah. to incorporate into my work, too, this is uh, almost infinity of possibilities. It's 
Yeah. It's also good to get, you know, all different types of perspectives just to see where everybody's coming from. They can get more well-rounded that way instead of just sticking to one viewpoint, you know? Yeah, I really hope I really hope reincarnation is real. That's my favorite idea out of yeah. all of them. Like, yeah, I mine like, too. I like. I don't like the. I mean, the okay. I like the idea of heaven towards the idea of nothing. You know, it would be over the idea of nothing. But if the heaven means mm-hmm. that there's a hell, that seems really fucking mean, man. Like that. I don't know. Like the idea that you have this creator that has just a, a, right by now. I mean, it's gonna be billions of people in eternal suffering and torture. That's kind yeah. of like, is that really a good guy? <laughs> is that really a good <laughs> fucking guy? Come on. Yeah. It's justified because he's God. That's why. It doesn't make any sense. I like the idea that you, because think about evolution. I mean, if, okay, so if animals have to evolve from a certain state, like everything uh, came from some kind of microorganism, which came from who fucking knows what, I don't know what. And it, eventually over time, over billion years, over billions of years, you know, you get this this whole variety of different species and, and so forth, and and each species kind of perfects itself as it goes on. Why wouldn't mm-hmm. your soul be the same way? You know, if exactly, let's, yeah. let's just say that God's a scientist and he works through evolution, like this is he just fucking drops something, and then this whole fucking experiment started happening on its own, and you just like this grand observer, which seems like, if anything, if there is a God, it seems probably like what's going on because everything seems to run through science. So let's just say that happens. Like everything just evolves over time. Your soul would, if there is a soul, would probably follow that same course in order to reach this uh, enlightenment that Buddha reached. Yeah, I can't remember who said it about uh, science is uh, the religion that has the most physical proof. Yeah. yeah. But science yeah. now is trippier than anything available. It fucking blows my mind. Every time I read it, I'm like, really? Oh my god, what the hell? We're crazier and weirder than we ever thought. You know, like this whole body that we live in. It's just it's just a really odd. I mean, you just break it down a cellular structure. We have a whole uh, series of what is it? Uh, white blood cells that protect us from viruses or whatever. I don't even know how it works, yeah. honestly. I have no fucking clue. Yeah. I'm not spread enough. But it's amazing that that you have like a whole culture like a whole city in your body of things happening like cells doing all these crazy things and communicating with one another and sending them off to do other things what yeah so f- much that we don't even have anything to do with you know yeah. it just goes on its own yeah it's very strange so it's like the idea that somebody would just rely on one book to get inspired mm-hmm. from or to learn from is really frustrating to me yeah that was another thing about that book that Life After Death book that I thought was really cool because it wasn't just a religious perspective. I mean, he gets into the whole thing of, of quantum physics and how it relates to the afterlife and just some of that. I had to go over the book you know, quite a few times and some of that stuff is just still over my head. I'm just yeah. blown away and like phrenology and all that stuff. And I love people expressing themselves and expressing deeper ideas. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been cool hearing these podcasts and listen actually all of them and uh and some of them even multiple times like christopher Ulrich is his he's just an amazing guy i totally love that yeah. guy it's so awesome and then, yeah it's just it's cool to get into artists minds and just uh see where they're coming from and see their history and even if it's you know a brief glimpse of their history but uh especially when you see some of these artists and their work and if you find out how they achieve it it might be complete 180 to how you thought they did because i mean i know just from going to art center i really don't even use any of the techniques that i, I learned there i just you know you kind of learn the rules so you can break them and, and even the, the artists that you've had like some of them i 
no idea they were self-taught, you know, like they make all and stuff. I was like, yeah. there's no way. I was like, what? He's self-taught. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just like something going through these artists that, you know, it's like a magic hand pushing through them. And I don't know. It's crazy how they achieve their pieces. And they just picked it up and decided, Hey, I want to fucking do it. And mm-hmm. they went in and did it. And it's uh, like, even some of the stuff that I learned from my own work, I just, you know, learned it on my own. Like I just picked up the, the art magazines that uh, that show, you know, like step by steps and stuff, and just experimented on my own. You know, I taught myself airbrushing and stuff like that, and stuff that I knew that at the time, um, late '90s and early 2000s, I knew that they weren't going to show it to me in junior college art classes and stuff. But I wanted to get a certain look, and so I just took it upon myself just to try different techniques, and even if it looked like shit, and it did, you know, just do it over and over until you get it right, and fill up sketchbooks adam miller yeah he um he said like something that like opened my eyes too like where his professor told him that in order to be a really good painter or a great painter you have to be able to kill your babies yeah it's so true you really do you have to be willing to risk destroying a painting in order to figure out how to make a painting really good yeah and learn to love your mistakes Mm-hmm. Yeah. something I, I stopped doing i like when i was i forgot like i was when i was in my 20s i totally went through a whole series of paintings where I just did whatever the fuck I wanted and explored and stuff like that. And those all sold and it was great. I was like, really? Oh, that's awesome. Then when I hit my Mm thirties, I became way more conservative and everything became tighter. And it was like, it doesn't look as good. It doesn't, it doesn't feel as good. And like, I realized after hearing that quote, I was like, holy shit, that's exactly, I haven't been taking those risks that I was Mm -hmm. in all the paintings I sold, like all the other, the newer ones. I'm like, I just still have them. (laughs) This is still with me. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's how it was when I when I took my break um, between 2006 and 2009. It was like I wasn't looking at that much art, and the art that I was looking at was just intimidating. I'm like, oh man, how am I ever going to get back into this and be amongst the caliber of artists? And but I just found out that that was just such a hindrance. It's like having expectations that you're going to be as skilled as somebody else, or you know, is kind of a, is unnecessary anxiety mm-hmm. instead of just you know going in and just doing it. And just seeing what happens and learning from that. Yeah, the weird part about it is that I think people people can see it. Like I think people can feel tension. You know, like when you're talking to somebody, you can feel kind of feel tension in people. I think you can feel mm-hmm. it in a painting too. You can feel like that that person wasn't loose. You know what I mean? They were they they're feeling they feel restricted. They feel like they're trying to stick within something and it, and you can tell. And or or you go to somebody like uh Mars One. When you look at his work, it's just loose and like has a lot of energy and uh yeah and you you can feel it. You know, even though Mars One isn't as technically strong as as some artists, the energy and the message is what puts it over the top and people feel that genuine uh, pureness about his work that, you know, if you're scared, if you're restricting yourself, if you're, you know, worried about criticism, you probably won't get that painting. You won't do that. Yeah. Yeah, you totally gotta just lose yourself in it and just not even think of it, you know. Even sometimes thinking like not nobody's ever gonna see this, you know, just to do the piece and somebody sees it, cool, if they don't then it was just for your own self exploration, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I thought sometimes people get so worried about oh, is this gonna and I do it too, you know, I gotta stop myself with the is this gonna sell or, you know, how's it gonna be received and but that's like kind of an afterthought. Like I'm not really thinking about it while I'm working. I'm just kind of doing it. Especially when I when I first start out the pieces, I think that's probably the most free that I am when I'm working because 
when I do the backgrounds, like I'm on the floor and, you know, just dripping paint all over it and just getting really getting into it. And that's how I was at school too. People thought I was nuts because I was on the floor all the time, you know, just working there and just getting crazy dirty. And I leave class, you know, with charcoal everywhere or whatever paint all over my clothes. But, you know, but then people would appreciate it more. They come down and they look at the pieces and stuff. And, and especially if it was like figure of drawing and, not even being accurate to the figure, just kind of using it as a reference point. But um, yeah, that's how I work now in my background. And then I figure, well, if I'm going to get tight, I'm going to get tight on the line work later on towards the end. And that's almost like something to look forward to. Yeah, I think the most free is when I'm doing the backgrounds and, and trying to make it uh, just look really natural and organic or hold the actual piece up and let it, you know, move it around to where I want it to and then go back in and glaze into the backgrounds and uh, to, like, give it more depth and stuff. It's been cool getting to know you. It was a it was a fun talk, man. And uh, yeah, definitely. Best of luck with your with your show coming up. Thanks, man. Best of luck with the uh, the podcast. I'm really looking forward to hearing all the other guests.